Hi, I'm Gail from Europod. Before enjoying your podcast, allow me to say a few words about Europe Talks Back. In the third season of Europe Talks Back, I want to uncover the topics that matter or should matter to all of us. From gender to bodies and sex, digital to migration and urban landscapes, and everything in between. Rather than focusing on macro-level policies, let's zoom in and talk to the brave activists and volunteers with lived experience, who are working directly with marginalized communities to further equity, justice, and liberation for all. Indeed, if we talk about AI as a matter of power, then there is an aspect of who can acquire power over us, who can take away our freedom through AI. Because we're not talking at all about self-aware machines. I would like to make that clear. It is not machines that take power away from us. It is the machines that can gain power over us, through us, through artificial intelligence. The other aspect concerns how we empower ourselves. In other words, how we can be empowered by artificial intelligence. How we become more effective human beings and how our society becomes more effective. To say that our lives are nowadays pervaded by the digital world is a truism. But the rise of artificial intelligence and the level of intrusiveness of the latter in our lives is less well known. AI brings undoubted advantages, but it is increasingly used by companies and even politicians for personal and private purposes, which rarely coincide with collective interests. Hungarian researcher Georgi Tiles has dedicated his life to convincing politicians and businessmen to use technology responsibly. And this is why we wanted him on Freedom in Hungary, discussing the impact of artificial intelligence on the freedom of human beings. I decide what I buy in the shop, what I do during the day, and what I do at night, who I live with, where I travel to, who I vote for, what I believe in, and what to think. But do we really decide everything freely? Humans have a strange relationship with freedom. Often we say that freedom is our most important fundamental value, yet other times we tolerate being told what to do from above. So why is this dichotomy? Is there an objective level of freedom? And what would we do for it? Hi, my name is Alexander Damianorici, and this is Freedom in Hungary. In this podcast series, we tell the stories of six people from Hungary whose lives have been shaped by the concept of freedom. Georgi Tilesh graduated from the University of Pax with a degree in law, but then pursued a career in technology. 12 years ago, he moved with his family to the Silicon Valley in the US, where he began working more seriously in the field of artificial intelligence. Tilesh has published Between Brains, a book on artificial intelligence. In this episode, we will see how the unprecedented speed at which technology is developing affects our daily lives and puts a break 
on our freedom. Well, I'm shortening my long career, but basically I have always been active in technology in all areas. And this, despite my background. I have worked for big multinationals and for the European Commission. I've worked in startups, in non-profit organizations. So, like, I wanted to understand and absorb everything. I moved to Silicon Valley with my wife 12 years ago. Around 2015, there was this big explosion of activity in artificial intelligence, and I was right there when it happened. While I had lived my life in technology, I was not an AI expert in the literal sense of the word. In the beginning, I was as interested in AI as I would have been in any other form of technology that was gaining attention at the time, and that it required a lot of investment. And then, in 2015, I was invited for the first time to the NASA Center in Houston. I was invited to join a club where there were experts, executives, and technicians from big companies and the government itself. And what I saw was that everyone there came up on stage and talked about AI. In short, they were talking about the fact that the age of AI was coming. What happened at the time is already quite revealing of the twilight nature of artificial intelligence. But back to Tillich's story. And there was this podium to speak from. And that night, there was a reception with a party. Everyone started drinking, and after a couple of drinks, the same people who were evangelizing AI from the stage started complaining about what we were doing. Unbelievable! I mean, how afraid are we when we don't speak with the hat of a big company or government? How afraid are we of what we are creating as consumers, as citizens, as parents? And that was the moment when I said, my God, this industry is, it's the purpose of my life. So this is how Georgi Tilesh, or as he's known in the international professional world, Georgi A. Tilesh, began to study the dangers of artificial intelligence. Today, as an expert, he warns us to be cautious and recommends greater awareness because he believes that companies and politics are constantly working to deceive us. As mentioned before, Tillich published the book Between Brains, Taking Back Our AI Future in 2020. I try to pay close attention to every step I take when interacting digitally with something. But one of my fundamental theses, which I wrote about in the book, is that we have to become much more aware people in this digital environment which has become infinitely manipulative. I think we have reached the point, and it is almost becoming a spiritual doctrine for me, that we must examine at every moment, before every decision we make, whether what we think is what we think, and how much we cling to our opinion, or how much we accept that our opinion or our free will is still intact. In general, how much does Tillich think that the degree of freedom of 21st century man is limited? Or how much does he think there is an attempt to limit it through artificial intelligence? Compared to what was established 60 years ago by the first developers of artificial intelligence, we have reached the point where, business and policymakers realized this a few years ago, the current incarnation of artificial intelligence is now very limited, but at the same time, very powerful in terms of potential. 
Therefore, with a strict utilitarian mindset, AI has been turned into products that can do a lot of good right now. In a way, artificial intelligence can be seen as a giant with feet of clay. So, with Tilesh, we dug into some concrete examples of the impacts of AI on our lives as citizens. In January 2021, there was a huge scandal in the Netherlands that forced the entire Dutch government to resign. In short, there have already been problems with the application of AI. And this is what happened. Since 2013, attempts had been made to improve the social welfare system in the Netherlands with the use of artificial intelligence. But the system could not be made accurate. This did not prevent the implementation of an algorithm that started assuming fraud by thousands, tens of thousands of households, a significant proportion of which, let us say, had a migratory background, precisely because the algorithm made an inference. It's a technical term. It actually means that a machine starts drawing its own conclusions based on the amount of data it is given. In other words, if you assume, for example, that you have data that people of certain origins or ethnic backgrounds cheat more often, suddenly you turn up the heat and you start having all these families refused benefits or having to return the ones they've already had. A brief contextualization is due here. In 2019, it was revealed that the Dutch tax authorities had used an algorithm to establish risk profiles to identify childcare benefits fraud. It turned out that authorities penalized families on the basis of nothing more than suspicions of fraud. Based on what? On AI-driven risk indicators. Thousands of families fell into poverty due to stunning debt figures, due to be paid to the tax agency. Some people committed suicide. More than 1,000 children were taken into foster care. It's not a gruesome scenario. It's history. But back to Tilesh. Already, 80 to 90% of current mobile phones are optimized for AI functional chips. Fundamentally, let's say, for example, the driving of cars is already definitely like that. Even everything that is a financial transaction is already based on artificial intelligence. I don't know if this is already the case in Hungary, but in the Western world, it is usually possible to apply for a simple personal loan via mobile phone. Apologies again for the intrusion in the narration by Tilesh, but it's just to say that if the citizens don't know it yet, Hungarian banks probably just might. There are interesting examples in this sector too, therefore. The AI model deciding whether or not to grant you a loan reports the value of your phone when you ask for it, because it deduces from that where you stand financially. And the social media we use are, in terms of Facebook usage, Hungary, if I'm not mistaken, ranks first in Europe, Clearly opaque. Every footprint, comments and likes enrich your profile, which is a great way to target you with advertising, be it commercial or political. We asked Tilesh to go on, telling us to what extent what we do every day is in some way or the other guided or monitored by artificial intelligence. He told us about a conference night in San Francisco, in the US. 
Two years ago, there was a big conference in San Francisco. At one point, there were two women on stage, one next to the other, Google and the organizer of the evening. Someone asked this question. Are we really being bugged? And the answers were two, one worse than the other. The first was that, even if they wanted to, these companies obviously wouldn't. And the second that, in any case, the appropriate computing capacity would only be available two years later. Incidentally, that was two years ago, so watch out. But in short, the point is that there are clustering techniques, data correlation techniques, which make it possible to model very precisely the group to which a person belongs belongs as a consumer. That is, there are groups of tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of data points based on which it is possible to establish a relationship with people who have similar consumption patterns. Until now, regulations to protect citizens have lagged behind technological progress. The EU is currently working on the first regulation on artificial intelligence. But the fact is that it is not easy to establish a long-term legal framework in a field that changes at an astonishing pace. The EU specifically recommends social risk-based approaches. They focus less on the very fluid technical term of what AI is. After all, maybe in two months it will be different when a new model comes out. But they do try to understand if there is an AI product that we can roughly adopt and what kind of harm it can cause on an individual and societal level. So all biometric identification and surveillance based on artificial intelligence and resulting social credit systems, whereby a system classifies you as a good guy or a bad guy, are completely prohibited. However, elsewhere things appear to be different. Instead, let's say that in China, it is more or less not only allowed, but introduced and piloted. For the time being, this application is used in one or two large Chinese provinces. It is being tested and the Chinese, at least as far as we know, are not really rebelling. Or let's say that only a minority seems to be against it. Europe, on the other hand, desperately wants to put its foot down in the opposite direction. Indeed, it would be nice if Europe could agree on a common approach in this area. Returning to the point about Facebook mentioned by Tilish earlier, internal analysts within the company had come to the conclusion, and this information ended up in the hands of the Wall Street Journal two years ago, that the platform played a significant role in coagulating extremist people around the world. After all, it is the very logic of platforms to invite people to join certain groups. The point is that the business model of these platforms is just that. And not much has changed in this respect. Let's say they were forced to rebalance things. But from a political point of view, yes, there hasn't been much change. Every now and then they fire someone who takes his job too seriously. But the point is that they sit on a big monster that they created themselves, which is now a business model based on algorithmic models. And there is nothing that they can do except move on towards the metaverse. My perception is that this is a flight forward. So we were wondering what Tilesh thought was the best scenario for citizens, actually handing over our everyday freedom and free choices to big technology companies, because to some extent we do, or hand it over to institutions. 
I think we have to be realistic about how much intervention and dedication we can expect from big business and governments. That does not mean zero expectations. I do not believe that a company is inherently evil or morally reprehensible. More simply, it has a business model that it applies. But when it sees that consumers do not behave as it thought they would, and that there is a reaction from the media or consumers, well, it comes to its senses and starts doing something. According to Tilesh, new generations will or must be more aware of the risks of sharing data in the digital economy, or at least he hopes so. There has to emerge a class of consumers who take care of their money, their data, and so on. And there are young people who are in the digital jungle, of which they are natives, and they are starting to consider the fact that even if you don't share data yourself, you do it through the brands you buy in a tangible way. And I think that's going to force a lot of big companies to go in a more responsible direction. By the way, I am working firsthand with some big companies around the world that have already gone down this path. So this would seem to be encouraging news, or rather, there is a semblance of hope. We'll discuss the degree of realism of this later. Meanwhile, it is worth emphasizing Tillich's point again. We have reached a point where companies that think responsibly can even be more successful than others. And this brings us to Jörgi Tillich's own mission, namely, to understand how AI can be developed for the benefit of mankind, and how responsible AI can become a common good and what we can do individually to ensure our security. The development and use of AI can be as conscious as what we prescribe or try to promote on an individual level. So, a company can choose wisely and responsibly and put in place internal checks and balances, development procedures, processes, and a mindset in general. This will also be important because companies that proceed, shall we say, less responsibly, can generally be harmed by the fact that the regulations that are now being drafted impose very heavy fines and are increasingly serious risk factors. In other words, the penalty will be much higher if someone makes a mistake or does not follow these responsible paths. Other companies have realized that the responsible path leads to better products, more satisfied customers, winning the friendship of the media and regulators and so on. This means that, at the moment, some companies have internal organizational transparency practices and measures in place to ensure accountability. These are evolving rules that some of the large companies have begun to develop properly, and other large companies can learn from those in the vanguard. At this point, it must be said that trust is needed, that these companies are capable of self-limitation. In the context of a struggle for profit, in the hope that the good deeds of today will pay off in the future. Well, it is always an individual decision whether to believe or not. Let's say that, in the world, there are companies that believe in depending on the character of the person who carries out the whole process internally. People who have a moral heart and who can convince the shareholders that this is basically the direction to take. Let's say that for every service you use, there are already alternatives from the big tech giants, even if they are smaller. And they operate with a completely different philosophy. 
Let's say that in the messaging sector, it is all still very obscure, but DuckDuckGo is a competitor in the browser world. Secure apps for data already exist, and Tillich believes that this is the future. For conscious consumers, it will be increasingly important what they accept when they download something onto their phone. The question is, of course, and perhaps this is why Tilesh's view might appear overly optimistic to some of you, what this awareness means. An example, who is expected to take these actions? And more specifically, who among those who are already in a position to influence others? Actually, I can give you an idea of a more brutal reform. It was proposed by a research institute in the United States. In the state of Alaska, if you are a resident, you receive a check from the state every year, which is your dividend from oil revenues. This is the logic you want to transfer to data-intensive industries. So say, if you are subject to a data-intensive company, you get some kind of monetary compensation. These new types of data-aware products, combined with consumer awareness and appropriate regulations, I think, can create a new paradigm. The beginning was very stunted, but I think it will be inevitable after a while. At this point, we asked Tilesh, whether he did not agree with the fact that claiming awareness on an individual level falls, in a way, within a common dimension of cruel optimism. For, after all, it is he himself who has spoken not of what we can do as individuals, but as a community. It is only collective action that can, metaphorically, reach the moon to bring about systemic change. Some sort of alliance is certainly needed. Not least because, to give you another clue, it has been said in recent years at conferences, and especially at political conferences, that the main threat to our society is tribalism and the divisions resulting from tribalism. In short, the division into camps, which is a very popular topic in Hungary. And I say, we need to take a step forward, because this is basically the reality. The real problem is fragmentation, the separation into individuals, and the fact that, based on the consumption of hyper-optimized information, of our own taste and promoted to exponential levels by artificial intelligence, in short, the fact that after a while we will only read news about ourselves, the communion of consciousness between people, fueled by the information, has broken down. It is very difficult to focus on the real positive effects of technological developments when one hears these words. But there are some indeed. Artificial intelligence could, for example, radically reform medicine. The most revolutionary positive change that has occurred in the last year or two is, for example, in medicine and the life sciences. Artificial intelligence is therefore destined to make a frightening leap forward in this sector. The effectiveness of drugs that are about to be launched, the effectiveness of medical treatments, personalized treatments that could appear on the market any day now, and they could be completely adapted to the physical problems structured by the genome. In short, life, freedom from disease, life extension, I see big changes on the horizon. One might wonder, however, whether these innovations will really be available to everyone. But change might also come in less radical forms. I think there is an aspect of AI in medicine where, for example, the doctor tells you something for your problem, 
But you say you also want to listen to another individual opinion. Giving a second opinion just means giving a second opinion. Well, it will not be another doctor, but artificial intelligence. Although in this meeting with Thielisch, we have mainly given space for a critical slant, this last exchange on the impact on medicine is enough to show that the picture is nuanced and complex. In any case, one can agree that the task of artificial intelligence is to serve our lives. The question, of course, remains. At what cost this will happen? This was the fifth episode of Freedom in Hungary, a podcast series in which we ask people from Hungary to share their thoughts and visions about freedom, sharing their personal stories. This Europod podcast was produced in partnership with the Hungarian Budapest-based podcast production agency, B-Tone Studio. Freedom in Hungary is a podcast part of the Sphere Network, the first network of independent media in Europe, which aims to reinvent the media space and paint a new picture of Europe through impactful, unbiased, raw and authentic stories. This podcast show is also available in its original language, Hungarian. The editor-in-chief of Freedom in Hungary is Anita Nieter. The editors are Susanna Fasekas and Luca Lukacs. The original host and narrator is Andras Batis. The selection of soundtracks and the original post-production is by Adam Gongiosi. The creative producer is Balaz Roman. The producer is Richard Hampel. Sound editing and mixing of the English version is by Jeremy Bouquet and Thomas Kosper from Bull Media Podcast Agency. The English version of Georgi Tilesh is by Robert Ash. My name is Alexander Damianovich. want to hear more podcasts that get to the bottom of things that stand out in the ambient noise join europod subscribe on apple podcasts spotify and our newsletter follow us on linkedin twitter and instagram discover our brand new website at www.europod.eu and join us in our fight europod clear the noise start to listen